We have two scriptures this morning. First, Exodus 1, 5, 14. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and walk them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Hebrews eleven twenty eight. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn will not touch the firstborn of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. God, let's pray together. Father, as we come before, before you this morning and listen to your word, Father, we pray that you'd give us hearts that are receptive, minds that are open, and spirits that desire to follow what you say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nine-year-old Joey uh, was talking with his mother after attending Sunday school, and his mother said to him, what did you learn in Sunday school? He says, he says, Mom, it was really exciting. He said there was this guy, Moses, and he got behind enemy lines, and he got these people out of Egypt, and he built this pontoon bridge to cross this, this sea. And, and after he got this pontoon, the people got across, he says, and then he got on his satellite phone, and he called into headquarters, and he had the Air Force come in and bomb the Egyptians, he says, and all the people got to the other side, and... His mother looked at him and he says, is that what they really taught you in Sunday school? And he said, Mom, if I would tell you what they told me, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> this morning, we are looking at Moses and God's call to Moses to bring the children of Israel out of the Delta region of Egypt. And Moses had an enormous problem. How is he going to rescue these people? They faced the most formidable army in the world at that time. The Egyptians had cavalry and the most heavily armed troops in the world. What would he do to deliver these people? without spears, without knives, without swords, without catapults, or any military hardware, how would he get them out of there? That was the first major problem as we come to the situation this morning. There's a second major issue that I'd throw before you. Each one of us in this room was conceived in his mother's womb with a sin nature. 
Now listen to this. This sin nature is the single biggest barrier between us and God. The sin nature keeps us from a relationship with God, and it is also our cause for death. Here is the problem. How are you going to remove that sin nature so we might get back into a relationship with God and enjoy and experience the vision that God has for us? The answer to this question is at the heart of God's plan and what he is doing when he calls Moses to deliver the children of Israel. You might recall that at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph has just moved Jacob's entire family of 70 people into the Delta region of Egypt. Now, there's only a little white space between Genesis 50, the last chapter in the book of Genesis, and the first chapter of the book of of Exodus. But let me tell you something. In that white space are 400 years. Often when we read the Bible, we don't catch the time frame involved. So there's 400 years. That's a lot longer time than the United States has been a nation. And so during that 400 years, when Jacob's family moved to Egypt until this time. Tens of thousands of Israelites have been born. In fact, Bible scholars uh, believe on the basis of the census when they left Egypt that there's well over a million people and some have projected even two million. Now, 400 years is a long time. and So as was read in the text, it's not surprising that the Pharaoh has no idea who Joseph is. But what we know is that even though God's plan of developing a nation got off to a very, very slow start with Abram and Sarai, years before they even had one, well, once they got to Egypt, God got the whole thing rocking and rolling. In fact, there were so many little Hebrew babies being born at such a phenomenal rate, it became the major domestic problem for Pharaoh. There was a shortage of midwives because so many babies were being born. So Pharaoh decides that he's going to oppress these people and hoping that by oppressing them, he will stop their growth. So he gives this edict. Throw all the boy babies into the river Nile. Now, this turn of events, which seems devastating to the unfolding plan of God's plan, turns out to be an incredible great opportunity for God. And God reveals three things. At this particular, he reveals his name, he reveals his power, and he reveals his plan. And we're going to see that this morning. He reveals his name, his power, and his plan. First, God reveals his name. Now, when God comes to Moses, he says, Moses, I got this wonderful plan for your life. You are going to go to Pharaoh and rescue my people. And Moses said to the Lord in Exodus 4.10, he said, O Lord, 
I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech. God, you have got the wrong guy. Well, you think about it, 80 years walking around the Sinai Desert, smelling the back end of sheep, is not the kind of training program that's going to make you a good speaker and develop the skills of being a Toastmaster and being able to get out there. So, God said to Moses, what I want you to say to Pharaoh is, let my people go. Nine times in the book of Exodus, Moses says to Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, I want us to practice that this morning, okay? So I want us to say together, let my people go. So join with me. Let my people go. You think that would intimidate Pharaoh? I don't think so. Let's say it really loud with both. Let my people go. Okay, I think that might get his attention. Well, that was the message that God gave to Moses that he had to say to Pharaoh. Well, the first thing that God is going to do, as I said, he's going to reveal his name. And uh, Moses says, hey, if I get over there, and these people have been slaved for 400 years, and they say, well, what is this God's name? Because we have forgot all that stuff about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What is my name? And God says to him, the name that you're going to tell them is, I am. I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the one that has always existed. I am the one that is existing now. And I am the one that will exist forever. I am from everlasting to everlasting. So that's what Moses has to tell them. I am. I am. So, now that word, I am, if you look at the Hebrew, it's the word Yahweh. Yahweh. So that's who Moses is going to tell Pharaoh about who this is and the people. And the second thing that God is going to do is he's going to reveal his power and he's going to put on a display. Now we know, again, how are you going to get nursing mothers out of Egypt, old crippled people out to Egypt, again with no swords, catapults, no military hardware, who but God could come up with a plan to do it. And what does he do? The ten plagues. The first plague is the river Nile is turned to blood. The second plague is frogs. The third, gnats. Fourth, flies. Fifth, the livestock is diseased. Sixth, there are boils. Seven, storms, thunderstorms and hailstorms. Eight, locusts. Nine, darkness, 24-7. Then comes the tenth plague. And the tenth plague is the death of the firstborn. Now, what is interesting, we read this and we say, oh, yeah, 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 these are just common things. But what we forget is that each one of these plagues is an attack on one of the Egyptians' gods. Every single one of them. So what we have here is we got Yahweh attacking 
the whole mythology of Egypt and all the false gods of Egypt. Now, I just want to give you, I want to give you just four illustrations of this. I want to pick four out of the plagues, four, uh, four gods, and I want to show you how uh, the, the first in plague number two is an attack on Heck, the frog god. Now, these are pictures of this frog god a head of a frog in a body of a person. And uh, you know the story. There were frogs, frogs everywhere. The frog was sacred in Egypt. Why were they considered to be gods? I quote, When the Nile flooded, the croaking of the frogs in estuaries and marshland was the sound of the god Heck, rejoicing that the land had again been replenished with nutrients. So this is why the frog was sacred. In fact, if someone killed a frog, even unintentionally, it could be punishable by death. So frogs now are everywhere. They were on the sidewalk, in the house, in the oven, in the pantry. Like a blanket of filthy, slimy, wet monstrosities covered the land and the walkways causing a crushing and a squishing sound as one walked on the pavement. Can you imagine these frogs multiplying and having multiple frogs in your bed at night? Maybe someone got a frog in their mouth and tried to speak to their spouse. And this is where the phrase came from. I got a frog in my throat. Frogs were everywhere. Incredibly, when Pharaoh was asked by Moses, when do you want to get these frogs out out of here? Pharaoh said tomorrow. And I think, why did he say tomorrow? Why didn't he say right now? I think that this is a picture of what we often do with sin. Instead of saying, God, I want my sin out of my life right now. Deal with me. Change me. Oh, God, I'll change tomorrow. And often when we want to change tomorrow, we don't change. So that was an attack on the frog. The fifth plague was against livestock. This was an attack on Apis who was the bull god. I think there's a picture of the bull god. These are, this, was on, this was on a headboard in ancient Egypt. I think there's a couple of more. And you can see that this was a god of fertility, and people worshipped Apis. In fact, isn't it interesting, when they started on the trek to the promised land, Moses was on the mountain getting those Ten Commandments. The people say, Aaron said, bring me your, your gold. And so then he, he fashioned it, and he fashioned it in a form of a bull called the golden calf. The ninth plague was darkness. This was attack on a primary god in Egypt named Rai, the, god, the sun god. And at the same time that the Egyptians had darkness, the Israelites had light. God says, you want to worship the sun? I will make it completely dark, except in the land where my people live. It was thick blackness you could feel. I wonder how many people stopped during those days that became long nights. God is personal. He is is specifically plaguing the nation. And he's showing that these gods are empty, that they're impotent that they have no power. 
Now, I got a picture, a few pictures of this. This is what you'll see when, uh, in terms of, of Ra. And wherever you have this bird and the sun over his head, he's depicted in a variety of ways. Uh, this is a temple. This is a temple. If you went to Egypt today, you could, you could visit and you could see this, this temple of the God. And now you think all of these crazy gods, they really didn't exist like the frog god. Look closely and you'll see this is how they lined them up in their temples. This is the way it was. And God was saying, God was saying, there's one true God. The tenth plague is not only a display of God's might, but it is also the display of his plan. And so we see in the tenth plague that God is attacking the very Pharaoh himself because Pharaoh is the epitome of a false god. Exodus 11.5 says, Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at the hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. You know, I've thought for years, why does it say cattle? Because they were also considered to be part of God and, and that, so there was an attack on the cattle. Now, now what is interesting is when we read, when the scripture was read, it talked about Ramesses. So I've got, Ramesses was one of the key pharaohs. In fact, we don't know exactly how the Ramesses interacted with the uh, nation of Israel because there were more than one Ramesses. But we see when we read the text, it talks about the store cities of Ramesses. Now, the thing that you can, that is uh, unique about Ramesses is this guy's beard. Okay, he had this cylinder around his uh, beard coming down, and then he would shave it in a particular way. When you go to the temple of the gods, if you, I don't know if you can see this, but if you look close, uh, he was one of the key pharaohs. And the reason for that is he lived so long. He was a pharaoh for 67 years, a huge, a very long period of time. Now, it was at this time that God came to Moses. He said, I'm gonna, I want to get my people out of there. And you see, God was a jealous God. He was jealous for his name. He was jealous because he's the one true God in all the world. When you read the Ten Commandments, you will find out that it says in there that God is a jealous God. And when people don't worship the one true God, there's judgment to pay. You know, we live at a time in the United States where our nation has turned and is turning more and more away from the one true God. As a nation, we talk about, you know, the God of the Bible, and we talk about Jesus But we say in the name of tolerance, we need to make all the gods equal. Now, tolerance is is not saying uh, nasty things, but it's, it's evaluating truth. 
And when one evaluates truth, whether it's Allah, Buddha, Gehenna, all these gods in our culture were said, we're told that we got to treat them all as equal. We know that God is a jealous God. He will have no equals. Each one of these gods today are idols, just like the Egyptian gods, incapable not only of saving themselves, let alone other people. In fact, if you study these gods, you see that there's, there's no salvation plan with any one of these gods. There's only one God that has a salvation plan, and that's the God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what we see is that at this time, Moses was called by God. But it speaks about Moses being unique. And the verse that I took from, from Hebrews, the verse that I took from Hebrews is this verse. It says, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. Why does God, when he's, and the writer of Hebrews, when he's thinking about Moses, why does he talk about that it was by faith that he took the people through this process known as the Passover? This, of course, was the birth of the nation of Israel as that angel of death swept through that land. It was from this we know that looking years, 1,500 years in the future, Jesus would reach back to this, and this would be when he would instigate and and give to us in uh, the Lord's Supper. Well, I want to read just a little bit about how God used this and how he prepared the people for it. So I'm just going to read some passages of Scripture. The first is Exodus 10, 27 to 29. It says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let the people go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure that you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you said, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. But I'll bring one more plague on Pharaoh and and Egypt, and that he will let you go from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Then going to Exodus 12, 5 through 8, where it explains to the people what they're supposed to do. The animal you choose must be a year old, male, without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th month. And then he says, then, take, then they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the door frame of the house while and where they eat the lamb. And then Exodus 12, verse 12. On that same night I will pass through Egypt and will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment. Listen to this. On all the gods of Egypt, I am the Lord. This was the truth. The angel of death would pass through the land. 
There was only one way to be saved from that angel of death, and that was to put the blood on the sides of the door. Moses had to tell the people of Israel that. This is what you got to do. Can't you hear someone saying, you got to be kidding. Putting blood on the door? How is that going to save us? What is that going to do? But you know, as we've studied Hebrews 11, we've seen that faith is characterized by two things. Faith is believing when you can't see it. And faith is obeying when you can't understand it. But you obey because what? God says it. That's what faith is. Each one of the people that we've gone through, whether it was Noah, whether it was Abraham, whether, whether it was last week, it was Joseph, each one of them, they believed even when they couldn't see it. They obeyed even when they didn't understand it. Why? Because God said it. Now, we know what was happening here. Something far bigger than just the angel of death going through the land. God was foreshadowing what he was going to do in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, we're not enslaved by the Egyptians. But we're enslaved by sin. This sin nature has a tendency to bend and and turn our hearts away from God rather than to God. And we know that it, it is only when we look to the Lamb of God and we're infused with the the power that comes from Jesus through the blood that's on the doorpost of our heart that we can be saved. Now, Now, this is serious business. You see, the question we need to ask is, do we have the blood of the Lamb on the doorpost of our heart? If the destroyer of death would visit today, if he would visit your home or he would come and you would die tonight, do you have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your souls? I tell you this graciously, but out of love, you will die in your sins and you will not be saved if you don't have this. You see, we live in a culture in the United States today, and you hear this in multiple ways. People say two things. They say all people are good, and they say that all good people will go to heaven. The problem with this is this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there's only one way, one way to be right with God. And that's through the blood of Christ. So the question is, where do you get this blood? It was explained this way. Look, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's where the power comes from. Do you catch this? Is the blood that Christ shed on the cross, has that been applied to your soul? Now you can say, how, how, do you, how do you apply the blood to your soul? The Bible says, behold the lamb. Look at the lamb. Why is it important to look at the lamb? Because when we look at the lamb, we see two characteristics of God. We see that God is both incredibly loving, but God is also just. 
He's incredibly loving because he gave his own son as a sacrifice for sin. But we see that God is incredibly just because he knew that there had to be a payment for sin. And he was willing to send his own son to the cross to experience the excruciation of crucifixion in his life. There are people who like to hear the love of God. But we need to hear both the love of God and also the justice of God. And it's at Calvary where we see these twin peaks of of God's character where they come together. When we behold the Lamb, we see the justice and the love of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now if you're rubbing shoulders with people and you're talking to them about Jesus and you talk about the cross, more and more people will say, you know, I don't believe Jesus needed to die. I believe in a God that loves me. I don't believe in a God of wrath and that that blood of Jesus needs to cover my sin. I just don't believe that. What this means is that this person does not understand that there's a debt that needs to be paid for sin. And that there's this great separation between a holy and righteous and perfect God and between sinful human beings. And the only way for that distance to be breached is through the cross of Christ. In fact, as mentioned, the Ten Commandments, the purpose of the Ten Commandments are to show us that We are separated from God. It says in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, by our keeping of the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For through the law is the knowledge of sin. What we see is that Jesus died in our place and we need him to be our substitute. Now, remember I said at the very beginning, there were three things that God was doing with the nation of Israel. He was telling them his name. He was demonstrating his power, and he was showing his plan. Well, those three things are what God wants us to see when we behold the Lamb. The first thing he wants us to see is he wants us to know the name of God. And it's very interesting. When God said to Moses, I am what what I am. I'm the self-existent one. Then you go to the New Testament. Do you know no less than 13 times Jesus says, I am? He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection. I am the life. I am the way, the truth. I am the vine. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the living one. This is who Jesus is. And how do you behold the Lamb? And when you behold the Lamb, take a step back. Write these 13 down and begin to pray these into your life so that you you understand who this Jesus is. I went and it was about six months ago. I just wrote all of these in my prayer journal. And from time to time, I'll stop and I'll just go through. God, I just thank you that you're the resurrection and the life. I thank you that you're the Alpha and the Omega, that you know the beginning from the end. I thank you that you're the vine. And that 
you know, it's through you that I can grow. I thank you that you're the bread of life from whom sustenance comes. I thank you, God, for who you are. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But we also need to experience the power that only comes from the Lamb of God. When you read the book of Ephesians or any any major books in the New Testament, they talk about time and time again that when we receive Jesus into our life, when we're born again, that we are infused with God's power. That's part of the way that we know that we're born again. We have this power in us. In fact, this power the Bible speaks about when we receive Christ, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And from time to time, Anita will pick songs in our praise time in the morning that emphasize this particular fact. We need to know that's the power that God has in us. It's because of that. It says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. If a person receives Christ but doesn't change, how can they have the power of the risen Christ in their life? Part of that also is submitting and yielding our life to Christ so that we can experience his power and his goodness in in our lives. So we have the name of Christ. We have the power of Christ. But there's also the plan. And that plan is put so clearly in 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. And I don't have these verses on screen, but I just want to read it. It says, his divine power, his divine power, has given us everything we need for a life in godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by our evil desires. God wants us to experience this power this power to do good, this power to experience a righteous life, not because in any way it's going to save us. We fall so far short. We are far more sinful than we can ever imagine. But God's grace and God's love is far more exuberant and generous than we can ever imagine. But we need to be touched by that. So this morning, we hear that this God has a real name. He loves us. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you can take either one, Father, the Son, or Holy Spirit, and you, can, and you can just meditate about who this great God is. But we need to experience his power, power in our life. And that's why we confess our sins, and we come into his presence. And then we experience this plan that God has for us, and we experience the power and love of Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, we experience that in our life. But it all begins, it all begins when we receive the living Christ into our life. When we take that blood and we put it on the doorpost of our heart. And and I just want us to bow at this time and I just want to pray a prayer for those who are still thinking about this. For those who haven't received Christ, would you bow with me and, and close your eyes? Would you all do this? And just, just pray, pray with me for those here this morning that, that still need to come to know Christ and, and just this, this light of this gospel to 
be, so they'll be able to see this. Christ Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've been going my own way, not God's way. I know that I'm spiritually dead unless you save me. I believe that you paid the death penalty for my sins and that you offer to me the free gift of salvation. I take that gift now, Jesus. Thank you so, so much. I want you to be the master of my life. Please send your Holy Spirit into my heart so that I will have the power to change, to become the kind of person you want me to be. Thank you for your love. Thank you, thank you for your love and power in my life. Amen.